ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנוכם מבייס השם. Welcome to our Wednesday night share. Pashas Chayasara. The week of Sab Cheshvan. There's the jelly ring. I had occasion last night to go to a Shev Brachas. sound. I was totally unprepared. But the fact is, when you go to Shev Brachas, what better Pasha is there to speak than Chayasara? The Pasha talks about Shaduchim itself. So technically, it would be an ideal thing. However, I knew it was not the first night of Shev Brachas. And by not being the first night of Shev Brachas, obviously, there were speeches before. Shabbos, there were speeches. The Chassan, I think, was Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. I knew Shaduchim was not an option to talk about. Although tonight is different. Tonight I can't, that's water. Slowly. What I did speak about it was actually very apropos to the family which we were talking was right at the beginning of the Pasha okay. what happens to Sarah Sarah passes away We look immediately in Rashi, the beginning of the Pasha. And Rashi tells us what happened to Sarah. Sarah passed away. Sarah passed away. Says Rashi. Because the Sultan appeared to her and told her that Avram shechted Yitzchak Kimat. However, he paused between the word Yitzchak and Kemat
sorry, the Lashon here was, Rashi asked a question. Rashi asked a question, why is it Why is it Loma Nismacha, Rashi asks, the passing of Sara to the Akedah of Yitzchak. Rashi answers, because through the notification, through the notification of what happened to Yitzchak, what almost happened to Yitzchak, Through that notification, the fish are yidei besudas hakeda. This damen binol shkita that he was paid shkita ukemat shalenishchat. It almost and is not shechted because of that parcha nishmasa. Hanishama fell out. I flew out. Um, one minute. I'm gonna decline you and add you. Send upgrade. What happens is when someone doesn't have the upgraded version, then you do not. You shut down everybody's video here. There's a new version today. Of of Skype. Yeah, Please don't talk. I have you all. I have you all open. I don't have. A, I don't have a plug inside. Let me figure how to do that. I think you're off now. Okay, you can talk all you want. But you're disturbing each other. It's fine, it's fine. Um, oh, wait, somebody else I think wanted to add here. What? It's fine. So now, <laughs> what happened was, Parcha Nishmasa and Nishama flew out because she heard that Yitzchak was almost shechted. Now, she didn't hear necessarily according to the regular explanation. The Sultan stretched her neck, says the Medrash. So she was able to see Harmeria. She saw Avram tying down Yitzchak and reaching for the knife. At that point, Sultan told her, that Avram slaughtered Yitzchak. Baruch HaNeshmosah. HaNeshama flew out. Because till he said the word, Kemat, almost, she passed away. Simple question on Rashi. Then why is it necessary to tell us the whole Kemat? If it's not what killed her, and we want to know why the passing of Sarah is next to the Akeda, then it should not leave out, you don't need the word Kemat. Elamai, the truth is, she heard him say the word Kemat. And that's why Parachanish Mosul. Because as a Yiddish mama raising a Yiddish child, 
she expects her child to be perfect. Perfect to the extent that he should be fitting to be a carbon. By the fact that he was not befitting to be a carbon, and that Avraham had to stop and had to take something else to set, slaughter something else, this upset Sarah so greatly that Parchan in essence, in essence, in other words, her neshama flew out. Not because her son was slaughtered. Not because she thought her son was slaughtered. Because she found out her son was not slaughtered. She found out that her son was almost slaughtered, but was taken and replaced by an isle. My son was not befitting to be a carbon. She couldn't live with that. Now, poor Avraham Avinu, at the age of 100 plus years, 136 years old, <laughs> needs to go and start to find the Shidduch to marry off his son. And without a wife, Sarah was no longer here with him. Avram tells his loyal royal servant, loyal servant Eliezer, go out to find a wife for my son. Only to my land, to my birthplace, should you go to bring back your wife for my son Yitzchak. This is the first shlichus that we find in the Torah. The shlichus of Avram sending his servant Eliezer to Choram to bring back a wife. Now, Mefarshim actually kick this around. Farshim say that in essence they were not yet, they had not yet received the Tera and therefore still in the gather of Bnei Nayach. And as Bnei Nayach there is no Shlichas. There is no Indian of Shlichas by Bnei Nayach. So that would in essence be, it would bring up an issue but not an issue that we deal with and not an issue that we have a problem with because we call Avram the first Yid. Avram was the first Yid, and Eliezer, his servant, obviously was Megayer as well. And Avram Megayer is Ha'anoshim, and Sodom Megayer is Ha'anoshim. So therefore, this was actually the first Shlichus, and why are we told at length about the Shlichus? We'll soon discuss why we discuss the whole story, the whole travel, the journey of Eliezer. But why are we talking here now about the Shlichas? Is a special lesson to each and every one of us. <laughs> shlichas, the idea, the concept of Shlichas, of being a messenger, <coughs> each person has to do what is expected of him. To cause the union of Pru or Ravu. To bring about children, to bring children into the world. And of course also, to be Mekarev, all Jews to Teirah Mitzvahs. By being Mekarev, by bringing closer a Jew, a fellow Jew, we are adding to the workforce. We are adding to the force of Avinu Shabbat
And this is why the Taylor tells the Mishnah tells us in what actually in Edrin. Whoever teaches a person is as if he gave birth to the person. And just like Avram sent Eliezer his servant to Choron, what's Choron? Chassidus tells us Rashi brings down the end of Pashneach when it refers to Choron can't I'm going to put you here Charein Api Shel Elom And so also a person has to go to all places, the most void places, that are most void of Teda and Mitzvahs, to find another Jew and to bring them closer to the service of Hashem Yisbarech. Until he can cause that this Jew himself <coughs> is capable of going out and bringing other Jews closer to God. The Mittler Rebbe had a chassid. The Mittler Rebbe had a chassid. It was a very, very learned fellow. Let us just go back a little bit, backtrack on that statement. A chassid of the Mittler Rebbe was a person that knew Talmud Yerushalmi, Talmud Bavli by heart. They were they didn't skim. Therefore, this Chassid was a little more learned than the average Chassid. That not only did he know Shas and Poskim, Chsidis, he was a very, very, very well learned person. And a very sought after person. And there were many cities that wanted this Chassid to become the Rav of their city. Ba'ayim. And he was confused where to go. So he went and he traveled to the Mitla Rebbe and he asked the Mitla Rebbe uh, he asked the Mitla Rebbe what to do, where should he accept where should he accept Rabbanus and as he stood in front of the Mitla Rebbe Mitla Rebbe understood that this man was a big Talmud Chochem and the Mitla Rebbe told him, you know something, you would be a very fitting Balagola. You'd be a great wagon driver. Now, generally, in certain circles of Judaism, if you told a Talmud Chochem that he's good to become a wagon driver, that he can clean your stables, it's a little bit of an insult to say the least. However, 
when it comes from the Rebbe, a chassid understands that he's been put in his place and has to sometimes accept the message. Now the truth be told, and I've said this many times, years gone by, many years ago, we avoided allowing people to write to the Rebbe. person wanted to write a letter to the Rebbe, we deterred them from doing so. And therefore, We deterred them from from writing to them because we were worried. We were scared. What were we scared of? When a chassid writes to Rebbe, a chassid is prepared for everything, which means that if the Rebbe tells them to do something, whatever it might be, the Rebbe Gaisen. I have no question, no doubt, no ifs, no ands, no buts. The Rebbe told me to do this, this is how I have to do it. When can we say such a thing? When we're a chassid. A chassid, a total mekusha to the Rebbe. A makusha to the Rebbe means lev and nefesh, we are tied to the Rebbe. Now recently in Shirtanya Chitas, the Alter Rebbe discusses that idea. This is therefore why it's Sadiq after his talkers from the world is still, or even more with the Chassidim than he was before. Because when one is totally makusha to his Rebbe, Nothing breaks that kesha, nothing breaks that bond. As a makusha to the Rebbe, the Rebbe can never insult, the Rebbe can never hurt, the Rebbe can never make you feel some way you shouldn't. As a Makusha to the Rebbe, a true Makusha, a true Chassid, is totally, totally nullified, has self nullification in front of the Rebbe. And therefore, <coughs> when we wrote to the Rebbe, we knew that whatever the Rebbe is going to tell us to do, we're going to do. Not because the consequence of Chas Shalom not doing it, but because if the Rebbe told me to do something, I didn't even think twice I had to do it. Mashenki and someone that's not necessarily a Makusha, but someone simply wants a bracha from the Tzadik Adair, and he wants a bracha and therefore asks to write to the Rebbe for a bracha. They're presenting a slight problem. The slight problem being that if Chas Rishon when the Rebbe answers them to do something not just not just gives them a bracha but stipulates something to be done and they don't do it Chas Rishon to the fullest capacity then God forbid the repercussions that can be brought about. And therefore, it was incumbent upon the person that takes on the request of the Rebbe, that wants to get the bracha of the Rebbe, 
to be prepared that if the Rebbe tells them to do something, they're not going to waver in any which way or form fashion. Here this chassid came into the Rebbe, expecting the Rebbe to tell him to take the biggest post, the most important rabbinate that's available, No problem. Send me two. And the Rebbe is telling him not only not to become a Rav, not only not to become a Rav of a big city, not only not to become their chief rabbi, but to become a simple Balagola, a simple wagon driver. Chassid was devastated beyond. He returned home and his wife, who respected him tremendously, another very rare rare happening in a marriage that a wife respects the husband. I'm not sure which is more which is more of a rarity, the husband, the wife or the wife, the husband. And his wife said, No, where did the Rebbe send us to? Where is the Rebbe going to tell you to be the Rav? And the Chassid sheepishly told his wife what the Rebbe said. The Rebbe thinks I should be a Balagola. So now you would think that the wife right away said, Ebazai, I'm getting a divorce. I'm filing for a divorce because. I don't want to be married to a Balagola, to a wagon driver. I want to be married to a major love. I want to be married to have a big community. I want to be married to a prestigious person. Instead, in true form of Asia's Chayel, <laughs> I said actually, last, I had a shir for Chsanim last week. And I told them that they should remember that the wife is the Akeres Habayas. And when we say the wife is the Akeres Habayas, we don't wait to say that in the eulogy. <laughs> we say that already under the chuppah. So here you would think the Akeres Habayas said, if the Rebbe thinks you're only worth about like being a Balagola, out! I don't want to have anything to do with you. But this righteous chsidista, this righteous wife, said, okay, so get up, go down to the stall, go down to the stalls, one second, and Get cracking. Find out how much a wagon cost, how much horses cost, how does it work, how do you do it, how do you, you know, there's a lot of tricks to the trade, obviously. Chassid was, was blown away. That's what my wife thinks of me. Also that I'm, I'm only good enough to be a Balagola. He couldn't take it and immediately turned to the sole solace of his life, and he sat down to learn Torah. And he sat back down with his svarim, and he dealt, threw himself into his svarim, and sat and learned. A short while later, a delegation arrived from a very, very, very large city, and they came to petition him to come to be the Rav of their city. The temptation was tremendous. However, he understood the time has come. And he turned to his wife as they left 
turned to his wife and his wife said out to the stall go get your job you know what the Rebbe wants you to do and so he puts on his boots and his fur coat and he walks to the stall stall and he starts to inquire when he walked in everybody looked at this prestigious looking fellow and they figured he must definitely be a good customer but when he starts asking questions and inquiring about wagons and tires and horses and horseshoes and whips and, and, and all the different things they all started to laugh what do you want to know about all these things one of the horsemen realized that this fellow was serious. And he took pity on him and he took him and he says, Come, Rebbe, I'll show you. And he showed him the ropes. This is what you have to be careful from. This is what's important. This is what could be dangerous for you. This, he showed him everything that had to be done. How much is a wagon? He told him the price. He told him the horses. He told him the price. He told him everything, the reins. The man came home very happy. He turned to his wife and he said, to start such a business of a balagola is tremendously expensive and we cannot afford it. <laughs> Can't afford to be a balagola. Too much money to get the wagon and everything else. The wife said, how much is it? He said, how much it was? She says, I have that money in my jewelry and my candlesticks. I'm going to sell everything and you're going to become a Balagola. And Kachava. She sold everything the next day. The money was there. He purchased his wagon, his two horses. And the people saw that he was not cut out for Balagolaving. And therefore, they used to give him the easy trips. The shorter trips they gave him. No. The life of Balagolving, as he rode his horse, as he rode on the wagon, he sat and said, Gimara Balpeh, and learned by heart. And looking at the rear ends of the of this, the horses in front of him, he became very disheartened. This is where my life is going to end up for the rest of my life, looking at the behinds of the horses. No. Help the Rebishter. And he's standing in the stall one day, cleaning up the horses, or fixing the horses, or whatever he's doing. And this very distinguished looking guy walks in. And... He tells him, I have to go to Moscow, but I gotta leave right away. I must leave right away. He says, Moscow is two days' journey. He says, Listen, I will pay you. It's not a problem. He says, Listen, I have a little problem. I can take you right now, we can leave. However, you have to understand that I'm a Jew and my morning does not start morning. I don't start first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, I have to sit down to Davin Shachris. My Shachris takes minimum an hour. After Shachris, we can leave. The guy says, listen, let's get going. We'll get on the road. Worst case scenario, tomorrow... If you're not ready when I have to leave, I'll take a different balagola to continue the road. I'll pay you for your journey until here, wherever we reach. <laughs> I must leave right now. They took the wagon, the suitcase, they threw it onto the back, and they start going. The journey begins, and as they're going, they've traveled a substantial amount of trip journey, and uh, it starts getting dark. The headlights on the horses didn't work that night. <laughs> so when it starts getting dark, that's about the palga, you got to pull over, you got to find an inn. 
and that's where you spend your night. And they come to an inn, and obviously the uh, protocol is that you need to pay your balagoli, you need to pay your transportation, and you need to pay your, if it's an overnight trip, you have to pay for the, wherever they're going to stay. The lodgings. So, the guy pays for the lodging of the yid, and pays for the lodging of himself, and he turns to the yid and he says, listen here, we reached to this point, to Moscow would have cost so and so much, we're halfway there, has half the money, in case tomorrow I take somebody else, you're paid up. Such a good, very nice. They go to sleep, he davens mighty, goes to sleep, and as every other night in his life, he wakes up by chatzes, and he starts to do tikkun chatzes. Now when we say tikkun chatzes, we don't say, say tikkun chatzes, we say do tikkun chatzes. What's that to do tikkun chatzes? Tikkun chatzes is a prayer which laments and mourns over the destruction of the holy temples. And the righteous people do this at midnight every night. And in order to do Tikkun Chatzais properly, a person has to cry a half a bucket of tears. If you put a half a bucket of tears, you fill up a bucket halfway of tears, then you know you did Tikkun Chatzais properly. Needless to say, it cannot be done quietly. If you're doing Tikkun Chatzais and you're bawling and crying so severely... It takes, and as this Chassid did the same, and he did his thing in an hour or two hours, whatever it took him, and his custom was after that to sit down to learn, and then in the morning, when the morning show, he davened for his hour. He had just finished davening, and the door bursts open in his room, and the guy is standing there. It's late already. The guy is standing there crying. Eyes are red. He's been crying for a long time. Apparently. And the guy says to him, Can I borrow your twillin? <laughs> I want to put on film. I need to daven. Look at him. He says, "What?" He says, "The truth is, I'm a yid. I've left the path years and years ago, and I left the path so well behind that I, nobody even has any recognition that I was Jewish. However, my room is adjoining to your room." And when you started to lament last night, that prayer, that midnight prayer, the way you were crying, the sincerity that you were crying, reminded me of my father. But how he used to say the same prayer at night, every night. And it woke up within me a spark that I thought was long dead. And therefore... I see that I have to return to where I have my roots. So please, I beg of you, lend me your twillin, let me daven, and I will continue tomorrow with my own. No, the chassid, after the whole story, returns to the Mitlerebbe, and the Mitlerebbe tells him, okay, your career as Balagola has just ended. <laughs> you did what I needed to you to do as a Balagola. Now you can go become it of. We see, therefore, the slichas of the person Mokim Shemelichen Eisei Shamunim 
the Almighty leads a person to a certain destination and that's where he finds himself. And if a person finds himself somewhere where he did not think was part of his itinerary, he did not think was a place for him that he wanted to be, he should know if the Abish to put him there, there's really there for a purpose. Either for him to make a bracha in that, in that area, or whatever it might be. To mention, today's the 7th of November, yes? I believe the 8th and the 9th of November was the famous, famous pogrom of Kristallnacht. When the Germans in Machshimam Vizachram went and destroyed all the shops and all the Jewish stores, all the windows, or the shuls, or whatever they could break, and crystal the glasses that they broke that night, there was so much destruction and devastation that they got the name of Kristallnacht. On Matzah Shabbos, on the 10th, in another part of Germany, they had the Kristallnacht. However, the Germans are very, very strange people. And they don't want to be insulted by being called Kristallnacht, and they insist you call it uh, Pogromnacht. The Pogrom. Don't call it Kristallnacht. I don't know why. They take it very personal. So my son, who's now in Frankfurt, has to go on Matzah Shabbos to a ceremony for Kristallnacht. November 8th, right? 1940. See that? There you 1940, go. 1940, yeah. So that comes to... He's going to go on Matzah Shabbos, and he's going to partake in a ceremony for Pogromnacht in that other area of Germany. <laughs> However, <laughs> the program itself is organized by the priest. <laughs> what? <laughs> but he doesn't come with his cross. So all he has to do, my son is involved, I think his involvement is to make the Kermal Erachim. Um, 
You have to give it to me with Kesef Molly. They tell them, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's free. The Siata you're a great person. We know we appreciate who you are. We don't want to charge you money. He says there's nothing to talk about. It's going to be a money transaction. Fijo. So Ephraim says, Abame shekel beni ben chomahi. What's 400 shekel? He makes it sound like what's 400 shekel, it's just a simple amount of money. The main thing that he wanted is that Jews should be buried. Which fits in right, I propose to our election. Because the main thing that our president would like is the Jews should be buried. No. That's Obamacare. He cares about all the people. If you're any which way sick, die. Don't use my social medicine. There's social medicine, but don't use it. Person gets sick, and they're old, we don't need you. Arrivederci. I'm sure anyone listening to this is going to tell me afterwards, no, that's not exactly what Obamacare is all about. They allow the senior citizens one extra a year. Um, the home care, our Governor Como cut back on, which is the uh, amounts of uh, how many hours they can get a week, etc. But bottom line, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that he really welcomed our, our Prime Minister and he really into the Jewish lifestyle and everyone knew very well that whatever he means to this country, to Israel, he doesn't mean. And Ephraim does the same thing as Meishak. Main thing for me is bury dead Jews. I'm very happy to hear that the Jew died. Let's bury the Jew. Now the question, of course, which I've said many times before, what kind of lotion is between me and you? 400 shekel is a tremendous amount of money, but where did he come up with the number 400? Why didn't he say 300, 350, 372? What's uh, 400? So Ephraim tells Avraham, listen, your name is Avraham, has five letters. My name is Ephraim, I have five letters. The middle letter in my name, Ephraim, is Reish. The middle letter in your name is Avraham, is Reish. Reish is 200. My 200, Beni, Beincha, my middle letter, your middle letter, is 200 and 200, Abba Shekel, 400. So there's, there's where he derives the number 400. The main thing he says to bury the Jews... Here is a question. When Rashi explains this, Rashi says no. That Avram tells him, Asharim called Shavir, I'm paying full price. No shtick. Paying full price. Then Rashi says, "V'chein David Omar la'arena bekesef moli." What's Rashi adding? V'chein David Omar la'arena bekesef moli. Bekesef moli would have been enough. Rab Avram says kesef moli, and he said bekesef moli. So that's it. It's enough to tell us. What is the understanding from also the fact that he said la'arena bekesef moli? Perhaps we can explain that this is what Rashi is telling us. That Avram stressed over here that he's prepared to pay the entire value. Just like we find by David. That even though David conquered the land, he conquered Yerushalayim from Arena. 
And legally, when a person conquers, when a king conquers in battle a certain land, it's theirs. But still in all, David did not want to build there. Until he paid Kesef Moli. He did not want that Arena should have any part or portion of this land. Any schus to this land. Any merits. And therefore he says, Ki Hashem Nothing is going to happen for free. He did not want him to have any part and parcel of the Mizbeach. And he pays him Kesef Mali. By paying him the Kesef Mali, he removed any merits and he claims that he might have to this land. And this is what Avram Avinu did the same over here. The Kesef Mali that he took from his hand the whole din the fact of the matter is, the Ibish already said, The Almighty already told Avram, I'm going to give you this land. So technically it was his. But still and all, he paid the whole money, so that Ephraim does not have any schus whatsoever in this entire land. Then we find the repetition of the story of Eliezer traveling to Choron, conversation that he has. The whole Pasha Shlichus Eliezer of Evan Avram is repeated. And the Chazal tell us, Yafasichos and Shlav the Aves, Metelos and Shabonim. Many parts of the Torah were given only hinted, and yet this was totally repeated. So we see, therefore, that a story of a servant, or the conversation of a servant, of the Abde Oves is so, so valuable. Rashi himself says, when the Pasuk says, So Rashi says, Today I left and today I arrived. Mikan says Rashi. And that's what we learn from here. The land jumped for him. However, Rashi now cites not like in Bereshit Rabbah. Rashi cites the quote Omer Rabbi Yacha Yofos Yichoslan Shalav De'Oves Lefnei Amokim Metaros Shabbatim Shei Pasha Zel Eliezer Kful Obetera V'har V'guf Etera Le'nitna Le'bremizah Again the same quote that the conversation of the Av De'Oves for the Almighty is very, very great, and therefore repeated. And we see that how great it is, because the Apashas of Eliezer is repeated, Mashenkein, so many things in the Teda that are only mentioned once. According to Chassidus, we simply can say, We know the Gemara tells us from Sechus Brachas, for those who are going to look it up, the Imarat tells us, It's impossible to know beforehand what will be the situation of a person when it comes to Tehra Mitzvah. Because every person has the Bechir Chavshis, 
the freedom of choice. This is all talking about Teiras and Shabbonim. Yerushimayim, the Teir and the Mitzvahs of B'nai Yisrael, of all the generations. But when it comes to the Sicha of Avde Alves, Eliezer already had a guarantee from Avram Avinu, Yishlach Malochi Lefanecha V'etzliach Darchecho, that it will all be Vatzlacha. And this is, of course, in simple language, the spiritual situation of Sichas and Shalav Deavis. What does Sichason, the Chazal, tell us? Sicha, when it refers to Sicha, it means Tefillah. A Sicha la Tefillah. If a person has a clear understanding that he can't rely on himself, he has to God, pray to God, and request and beseech from God everything, <laughs> then he's guaranteed that slacher. Who are the Avdeyaves, the servants of our fathers? Since we know, also Gemara, of course, those are going to check. 88 side 2. That if a person feels the greatness within himself, then he knows automatically that it's not him. Because the Almighty guarantees a person that when he devotes himself to something, and totally with total devotion to the Almighty, then he will be Matzliach. Now the question of course here is asked, Why quote Rashi? Why does he quote Dorosh Rabbi Yacha? Why is he quoting Rabbi Yacha? The Gemara in Misachtes Yuma, Daf Yotesam at Beis, nineteen side two. Dorosh Rabbi Yacha, Rabbi Yacha says, "With the Bar Tabom, Aseisim Kvav Al Tasam Arai." Learn Torah, make them Kavua, make them a set thing, and not a just passing by. And the question, of course, is the Mishnah already said in Pirkeyoves, Asei Teros Chakva. So why now, Pirkeyoves, of course, Pedekalov, Mishnah, that's well. So why now, all of a sudden, is Rabbi Ach being Mechadish this? We say, because the main thing of the Mishnah is that a person has to do, has to make Teirah Kavua. He has to understand that his entire day has to be set aside for learning Teda. And when he works, he has to work a little bit also. But the main thing is learning Teda. Reb Acha comes along and says, not make the Teda Arai, not to make the Teda a side thing, that sometimes a person has Kaviyasit and the Teda only, but the thing is not Kavua, it has to be Kavua in his soul. And in his heart, totally. And therefore, Rabbi Acha is teaching us that we have to learn and over and over many, many times until it becomes clear to us. And that's the concept of Kava. So why were so many things the Taylor given hinted? And not clearly? Because some things is Dayalachachma Baramizah. Something is enough for just Benamiza that we just learn it overly. But the main points of Teda have to be learned over and over and over. And this is what Rabbi Acha Dafka brings out the concept of the Sicha, of the story of a Teda. When it comes to Teda, Teda is Heira, Dine Teda, Yofa Sichoson, even Avde Oves. And that's why it's Dafka quoted from Be'acha, who wants the concept of Kavias, of Kavua, of Kva to be put into our life. And so we should be merit that this Shabbos we should repeat again with all our Shluchim, welcome Shluchim from throughout the world that can get here in our snowstorm and Nor'easter, 
those who can land here and can stay and spend the weekend with us. Welcome to you all, as you are the ones that are coming here in the Kayach HaMeshaleach, and in the schus of the Achdus, Shevesachim Gam Yochad, we should see again the Kashem and Ateva Reish, should come unto the beard of Aaron, and against again the anointment of the Kayan Godel in the base Hamidash Ashlishi, and this very Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom to all. See that priceless? Yeah. $36,000 for mezuzah. $36,000 for mezuzah? No, $26,000. $36,000 for Rebbe Oh, 36.